One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. This week, we're joined by our colleague, New Statesman sub-editor Yo Zushi, who is going to talk to us a bit about Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is someone that he takes very seriously, but is not someone <laughs> that necessarily everyone else has. Um, Yo, you've written a really great essay about Arnie. Um, just give us a sense of what you said in that. Well, the gist of it is, although it's very easy for people who consider themselves progressive and of the left to dismiss someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger, who um, was a Republican governor of California, palled around with George Bush Sr. and a little bit junior too, um, and says glowing things about Nixon. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, his, his own political allegiances doesn't mean that we as progressives, lefties, uh, have to discredit him and his achievements. Um, my article was uh, essentially about the idea that we can... Uh, admit the impressiveness of people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, regardless of his theme. And you also, you reference the fact that he, his whole career is just a kind of um, a manifesto for hard work, right? Hard work, hard work. You, you go online looking for t-shirts <laughs> with Arnold Schwarzenegger's face on it, as I have done in, in the past, and <laughs> you'll find that um, a lot of those pictures, actually it's very rarely of Arnie's face, it's usually of his supremely ripped body. Um, uh, those pictures would be accompanied by slogans, slogans from his career or his movies like "Do it, do it now," which is one one of the <laughs> very transferable quips which you can use in any context. Um, yeah, but but you know he is associated in the minds of um, a lot of people with this super motivationalism, if that's a word. Um, he gives talks about motivation, and those. Um, who have come in contact with him, like, for example, a bodybuilder I spoke to in the course of doing the research for um, the next bodybuilder, actually, uh, during my research for, for the article, um, felt that his life was changed you know, by, by the focus displayed by Arnold Schwarzenegger giving a talk, standing in front of him. And you said in the piece something that I thought was really interesting, which was the idea that he kind of embodied the dominant ideals of his time. There's a lot of talk about how the age of popular culture it's kind of kind of winding down in the sense that we understood it over the past century. I, I don't remember who it was who said this, but but uh, I remember reading somewhere that um, popular culture has been replaced by a, a plethora 
of、uh, subcultures. You know, no, no one dominates the popular、uh, imagination in the same monolithic way that the stars of the pre-internet age、um, did. You know,、um, if you think about movie stars today, who has that towering, almost Greek god-esque stature,、mm-hmm. which Arnold Schwarzenegger had, his predecessors, Humphrey Bogart. You know.、Um, Errol Flynn, Errol Flynn, and also female actresses as well. You know, like、um, you know, in my mind, Kim Basinger is still a mega star <laughs> in a way that、um, I don't know. Like, okay, someone who was on the cusp of that transition, Liv Tyler, never quite became.、Mm. You know, it's it's that that idea which I was I was trying to touch upon. The idea that Arnold Schwarzenegger is a real kind of encapsulation of of the attitudes of nineteen eighties America.、Mm. Um, that's that's、um, shown in a quite a direct way in propagandistic movies,、um, wherein he plays like a US, ex-US commando brought back in to, to kind of kill some kidnappers. But、um, if you look at Red Heat, for example, which came out a year after the fall of the Soviet Empire, it was all about reconciliation with Russia. He plays a Russian agent, and the, one of the Belushi's, I think it's John Belushi, no James Belushi, the Less funny, but better actor one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, you know, he plays a grizzled American cop, and it's a culture clash movie about cultural reconciliation. And I don't think it's, you know, reading too much into it that the demand for that kind of product、um, reflected the the wider kind of. Mentality of the the American people at large. I thought it was fascinating as well what you said about him kind of embodying the American dream, and and that he should go on to play such kind of American characters. Well, being an、uh, an Austrian, being an Austrian, and not even through his kind of body. Building Mr. Universe stuff. He didn't even really come at America in the kind of classic way, did he? You know, he didn't just sort of like move to LA and hope for the best. You know, he he worked incredibly hard, became famous in one arena before he translated. I think he was a pragmatist, though, because、mm. here was a man who admits he's not particularly a good actor. He admits that he's not particularly funny. He admits he, he not intentionally anyway. Well, not intentionally. <laughs> I find him hilarious, but.、Um, He didn't have many options. He wasn't like an Albert Einstein figure who could, you know, become an international figure using his his brains and brains alone. I think he's a very intelligent guy, but、um, he did it through, you know, if you think about what a perfect thing someone with focus and drive, bodybuilding really is. You know, all you do is. Go in, and he, he has this slogan, which is "reps, reps, reps," which is to repeat, repeat, repeat. And he he transferred that attitude, where you know, in his youth, it would allow him to do way more training than anybody else, becoming, as a teenager,、um, the most hotly tipped and and you know, widely considered the greatest bodybuilder of his era,、um, through just like doing weights again and again and again when everyone else would have stopped.、Um, To later on in his life, he'll do the exact same thing with speeches he'd have to make as the governor of California, and、um, in his in his、uh, autobiography, the 2012 one called Total Recall, he、um, makes that direct comparison between his mentality as a bodybuilder, where he would do reps, reps, reps,、mm. to his his、um, public persona, his job as a politician, where he'd perfect speeches and get a very good reception from them. Through doing the kind of reps, 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 which other other politicians probably don't do、mm. or can't do. 
And I guess reps, reps, reps is a philosophy he's applied in reprising his role. As a Terminator. <laughs> exactly. But, <laughs> but um, and it, it's a good film. And I, I, I don't begrudge him for uh, repping that. Yeah. So there's a new one the just, new, just yes. out um, and you've, you've seen it. What, what did you make of it? Um, Terminator Genesis is, though not actually the third Terminator movie in the franchise, is considered the third by people who enjoy the first and second movies. And in fact, um, James Cameron, who directed, um, I think, both of the first two movies, actually, um, has been going around saying it's the third one, which, which <laughs> I, I feel sorry for the people who made Terminator 3, which was shit. So, so he's, <laughs> just, he's just erasing it. From yeah, he's, he's erasing it, much like um, the film film's narrative does of of erasing timelines. Um, Actually, we should say at this point we had a comment on from a listener uh, disputing my suggestion in our Harry Potter special that I couldn't just declare things J.K. Rowling has written after she finished the Harry Potter series as not canonical because I don't like them. And now I feel <laughs> which I claim I can do and have done. Um, I, I'm pleased to see that James Cameron is doing He's that doing too. The same thing. If yeah. it's good enough for James Cameron, it's, it's good enough for Caroline. It's more than good enough for me. <laughs> but what would, you know, what, what, what do you think Christian Bale thinks? You know, he, his very hard work on Salvation has been erased. Just to talk about the film, just in, for its own sake, it's it couldn't go wrong really because the bar was so low <laughs> with the three and and Salvation and the series too, which wasn't very good. Although a lot of people love it and are quite evangelical about the series that it just felt okay you know it's a film which which piggybacks on former glories there's very little character development and our engagement as the audience to the characters is is very much dependent on our foreknowledge of their experiences and what they should be doing if the time you know i'm not sure if it's a spoiler but it's a it's a movie where um the timeline of the original first two movies have been completely revised in order to allow for a new villain, mm. yeah. So. Okay, so so it's not it's not really an entry point for someone new to. It would be incomprehensible, yeah. <laughs> which, which, which which perplexes me really, because the point of rebooting a franchise is to attract a new audience. But who who you know, unless they've already seen one or two, which I suspect everybody in the world probably has, if you're interested in action movies. Well, I wonder though whether because um, something else you referenced in your piece is. Um, remembering watching Terminator 2 as a as a 10-year-old and finding it really, really dull until all the violence kicked in. Which is actually quite sharpish. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, well, it's, it's just, um, it, I didn't find it so dull so much as I was exhausted because um, so the, conte- sleepy, yeah. The, yeah, the context of that was oh. we'd, we'd been playing baseball <laughs> with, with some American people in, uh, all day. And, um, so you were just really tired. We were yeah. very tired. Mm. and But the violence woke you right up again. It, it sure did, yeah. and yeah, I'm a peaceful, peaceful man. Uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't believe in hitting things or people, but uh, you know. But I wonder whether, um, so is the is the kind of violence of the action in Terminator Genesis as exciting? I think violence, in its own sake, is very rarely exciting. It, it's 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 how it's framed and how it's shown, and you know, I, I don't want people listening to this to think that I'm some. Bloodlust. <laughs> no one could think that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but 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 basically, I'm I, I'm quite a fan of screen violence. Um, from from you know very depraved horror movies, often involving ballerinas getting decapitated and being chased by by 
possibly supernatural beings with knives. Um, I, 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 I enjoy that, and as a fan of that kind of kind of movie, mm. I, I find um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's um, aesthetic. And I know he didn't direct these movies, but people who make films designed to be Arnold mm. vehicles seem to kind of channel an older kind of vernacular when it comes to action cinema. And there's something quite, you know, nostalgia-inducing about, about Terminator t- uh, Genesis's um, action sequences, which um, I suppose people of my, you know, my generation and older, um, I'm 33, um, will kind of feel very much at home watching. And mm. That's really interesting because I feel like um, in my limited knowledge of what Hollywood is up to, um, the the kind of action genre, particularly comic book films and that kind of stuff, the all the attention is expanding into big markets like China, where people don't necessarily have the the kind of back knowledge of of the kind of back catalogue. Mm. Um, and um, thinking particularly of, I've only seen half of one Transformers film, mm. but it was totally incomprehensible to me as to what was happening i felt but, that the but same i thing. really and i've um the friend who i was watching it with who had seen all of them and all of that movie and um, was like you don't understand this any more than i do in the sense that it's even if you have seen all of it but what you're supposed to enjoy is just the vision of robots punching airplanes out of the sky well, and i wonder whether there's something to that about well, the modern reboot well that was the intention of cinema from its very origins you know the first cinematic spectaculars were as you know were really just spectacles mm. you know they, they were uh created not you know, the first films weren't really created by uh narrative like artists auteurs, novelists yeah. auteurs autorism didn't even come in at the mm. concept till you know uh k as the cinema started to bandy it around um it, it was it was it was a product of the sideshow of a circus a magician's kind of trade like Melier and me- yeah, stuff, yeah yeah and um you know uh i think Cinema, even modern cinema, still carries with it that vestige of um, spectacle status. And even when people watch films which are very narrative-based, even if we're watching it for uh, like the human drama enacted in front of us, you know, on on that most basic direct level, the first thing that enters our minds and enters through our eyes and ears and um, the first reaction we have is, is going to be that bodily one. You know, we see people, we see the facial close-up, we see an explosion, we see even someone talking to, to another character and all those things, we, we respond to it on a, on, a, on a kind of a visceral level even before, you know, and I think the reason why people love action movies and horror movies is it's that experience in its purest, most heightened form. So people can dismiss action movies, horror movies, certain music videos uh, <laughs> for for uh, for, for uh, you know questionable um, moral content, but uh, the moral content should never really be the overriding uh, metric by uh, by which we assess the value of of a movie or anything like that. Amazing! Thanks so much, yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
And now we're going to talk about Sense8, which is a new Netflix original series. I'm here with Caroline and Caroline Criado Perez to talk more about this. We should really, we've got two Carolines, you know, just, I'm, I'm your normal Caroline. Um, <laughs> guest Caroline is now going to tell us why she really liked this series. Um... There were a couple of things that I really liked about it. I mean, I'm a real sucker, actually, for for any kind of weird sci-fi stuff. I really like the idea of sort of moving between worlds and, and I guess, people with superpowers. People who can do stuff really, really well, Mm. basically. That's why I like watching things like gymnastics. Just anyone who can do anything really well. Um, And basically, that's what it's about. It's about all these people who develop these uh, kind of superpowers, but only because they um, become this... uh, sort of group of people that can all draw on everyone else's talents. If you know what it means to be reborn a sensate. Oh, what? But you saw her. But that's just the beginning. I can feel you. But you're not really here, are you? You are no longer just you. It was just really great to see a programme, not only that was so diverse, the most diverse programme I've ever seen, but one that just didn't make a point out of it mm, they yeah. just are there they just are diverse they just are black and gay and you know from all around the world um but it's never made part of the storyline and i really really liked that and the final thing that i really liked was a particular character called sun uh who is a south korean uh businesswoman come kick-ass martial arts uh person and she um she just sort of crops up more and more and more at being more and more amazing at fighting and imp- and sort of embodying these other people and then beating up the bad guys for them. And I just am a massive sucker as well for fight sequences, especially awesome fight sequences, especially awesome female fight sequences. So, so I've just watched um, an episode where she... Um, so one of the other characters is... I've forgotten his name. The guy who ran, uh, drives the Van Damme bus. Oh yeah, um, in Kenya, I think it is. Yeah, um, and he's got himself into a bit of trouble with these sort of like hijacker people, and she just appears and just floors them all for yeah. him. And that was a really great sequence. The music in that particularly was also really good. Um, but I think um, I felt slightly less strongly about the new. It had interesting parallels with Heroes. This idea of like a network of people all over the world discovering their their sort of talents. But not in a good way because I didn't really like heroes. <laughs> um, and there is there was a slight kind of sci-fi cheesiness to it that um, I haven't quite got over. I don't know. Um, but I do really share your your love of ha- just how interestingly different all these people are, mm. without it being a kind of um, United Colors of Benetton type yeah. making a point of that. I so. thought the trans woman actually was really interesting because I genuinely didn't realise that she was a trans woman. And uh, yeah, I think that that's just sort of indicative of... Uh, it's the same with this guy who... I mean, actually, the, the guy who's a, a gay actor in Mexico, because that does become a salient part of the storyline, that is a bit more about the fact that he's gay. But um, again, it's just totally not the fact that he's gay um is just totally not remarked upon and it's just this totally well of course he's gay why wouldn't he be um and i and i do i do really like that the the one thing i don't like and there is this episode episode nine which basically there is no point watching because nothing happens that develops the plot and there are no awesome fight sequences that i can remember (laughs) um it's called something like we are human or are we human and it's basically just this mawkish awful over emotive cheesy to the point of you just want to kill yourself exposition of well we're all the same really aren't we (laughs) they spend an hour going through this with all these people just delivering these really self-indulgent solipsistic 
monologues about like the time that their dog died or whatever um and it's just it's just really really dreadful now anna am i right in saying you did not like sensei i i wasn't won over by it immediately i mean i remember it's it's funny that you compare it to heroes because i remember watching the first episode of heroes and they had a similar kind of challenge which was there was a lot of characters with seemingly unconnected plots that they had to sort of introduce quite quickly but i do feel like heroes i mean this could be a negative thing or a positive thing it sort of was very much like this is the person it was very expositional she's a cheerleader she's blonde and she can heal herself you know it was very very kind of like quick and you kind of got on board with the character straight away sense8's opening is mind-bogglingly confusing Mm. i think so it starts off with this very strange scene in an abandoned church with a woman um who's sort of contorting and sweating and obviously in a lot of pain and there are people there but are they really there or uh, mm. they keep sort of kind of disappearing in shots and then uh, she this isn't a spoiler it's literally the first scene in the whole mm. series she like shoots herself in the head as some kind of sacrificial this will be better the world will be better this way i must do this sort of way and uh, and you're just left there like what <laughs> what and obviously that's intentional and for some people that's like oh wow i'm gripped now i have no idea what the fuck's going on <laughs> for me i was just a bit like oh really now i have to concentrate <laughs> um so that threw me off i think at the beginning uh, they, they, there were a couple of characters that i really did connect with straight away so yeah Nomi was one that the trans woman she's just quite charismatic and they spend more time with her I think Mm -hmm. essentially in the first episodes and the short-haired blonde DJ um who sort of had a weird vision and doesn't doesn't know what's going on um those two characters I felt from the beginning I I sort of wanted to know more it might also be that the the blonde DJ is from London so Mm. I was she's Icelandic but she lives and works in London yeah actually I got very excited when there's a there's a shot of her walking through the tunnel and the Waterloo and Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. 
City Line. Yeah. I got really excited. <laughs> <laughs> you know when like, you see your tower yeah, on, yeah. on TV? I got I love that. Um but um we should say a little bit about actually the the kind of origins of the show. It's um it's written and directed by the Wachowskis of The Matrix fame and more recently Cloud Atlas. And I feel like this is it's it's neither a good nor bad example of their output. It's just really typical for them, I felt like. Um, I don't think either of you have seen Cloud Atlas. No. no. Have you read the book? I've read yeah. the book, yeah, but ages ago. But the, the book has that has a lot of parallels actually with sense in the sense that it's lots of um lots of characters seemingly yeah. unconnected yeah. with their narratives kind of overlaid over each other um and they tried to get that across in the film by having the same actor same group of actors playing all of the roles with right. lots of use of makeup and costumes and prosthetics and stuff like that you if even if you haven't seen the film you might have seen hilarious screen grabs of Hugh Grant in the kind of post-apocalyptic future dressed as like a kind of cannibal chief or something um, <laughs> when at the same time he's also in he's also playing like a handsome man from the past and other shots of this of the I'm, same film. I'm getting from this that you didn't like Cloud Atlas. I loved it. Oh, did I you? loved oh, okay. it so much. It's, it's kind of grandiose and ridiculous and um, sort of hyperbolic but that's why I like it because mm. I feel like if you're going to try and do something as complex as getting across like multiple overlaid interconnected narratives on one movie screen at the same time you kind of have to go for it and that's what they did and so I feel a little bit like I want to give Sense8 the benefit of the doubt on that score mm. that um as you say trying to introduce lots of different characters seemingly unconnected and then establish some sort of supernatural connection between them is a hard thing to do i well, think it means yeah inevitably every week some characters are going to have a bad week and some characters are going to have a, a, a week that's much more nuanced yeah but i guess it's not but really... i think that by i mean i think you've only watched three episodes and you've watched four mm. episodes and i have watched all the episodes <laughs> and definitely it starts to come together um you know it's it is a slow burn to start off with as they are introducing the characters and they're spending much more time with certain characters in the opening episodes than the other ones as they sort of get you get you get to know them and i uh i couldn't tell you at what episode i sort of felt like i knew what the hell was going on mm. and i knew who all the characters were and what their superpowers were um but certainly it wasn't by the first mm. third or fourth episode what i think is actually quite clever in a way is that you as the viewer are mirroring their sort of what the fuckness because they don't know what's going on mm. either um and it sort of feels like the story only comes together and the characters only come together and the audience only really gets to sort of see how this is all interconnecting once the characters within the series have also got to that point so um maybe i'm giving them too much credit mm. but i'm i'm sort of assuming that was a, a thing that they did on purpose mm. that were meant to be having the same experience as the characters are of slowly getting to grips with how this is going to work as a cluster and how um, these superpowers are going to be useful in what context. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I quite like that sort of develops a little bit is this sort of um, intercluster romance stuff that happens. Um, this <laughs> actually, there's one bit that's not that that romantic. There's this point where they all have this massive giant across cluster orgy, um, <laughs> which just... is just. I did Man. wonder about that actually. <laughs> I haven't got to that bit yet, but um, sort of seeing the way that at other times they can sort of drop in and out of each other's scenarios. Yeah. It's like I can see an application for this. Well, it's really weird because who? It's there's one guy is part of the massive orgy who is just working out in the gym, and like the Mexican guy is giving him a blowjob or something. 
<laughs> it's just completely bizarre. Like, so some of them are actually having sex, and some of them some are just are doing other stuff and <laughs> get involved in this cluster <laughs> orgy, um, which you know could be quite uh, distracting. I guess you know if you're in an office, that could be awkward. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you you mentioned there that you you've watched all of it. Yes. Um, and I think you, I'm right in saying you watched all of it in quite a short amount of time. You yes. really burned through it. I did, yeah. What was it about it that made you want to do that? I think it was probably partly everyone in it is really hot. And I like that. Um, <laughs> and the fact that it's, you know, it's a thriller as well. Mm. You know, there is this sense of chase about it. And so you do, you know, want to know what's going to happen, what's happening next. You're always left sort of wanting to find out the the next the next fight that will have to happen, the next obstacle that have to be overcome. I know I keep banging on about episode nine, but it is just such a weird episode because every other episode is so focused on moving the plot forward relentlessly. And then suddenly you just have this episode where everyone just sits around talking and reflecting on their deep, meaningful emotions. After that episode, I thought, okay, I'm just going to give it a chance to redeem itself. And thankfully, it just continued as before. I mean, there has been a real trend in TV in the last two or three years for what they call like the the bottle episode i know they use this in girls um quite a bit and also uh, masters of sex which i believe we're going to talk about in a future podcast where when you've got a kind of a, a narrative plot driven show you take like one episode out and you put your a, a small number of your characters in a kind of in a bottle in a kind of contained situation mm-hmm. and it's almost at its best, it can be like a stage play, you know, it's like you're just watching these two people in a spotlight interacting without any of the distraction of the rest of the show. Mm. And then the next episode, it resumes. the, And that mm. can be a really effective technique. But So potentially that's what they tried to do right. here and it just It's failed. just dreadful. It's yeah. really, really awful. <laughs> and, and that's interesting, actually, because it is a, a Netflix original and an internet native show. You feel like when something is on the internet you don't have to stop to what the network wants or what Mm. the advertisers want that's really interesting though i wonder if it's precisely because it's a netflix series and they want to project this image of themselves as like tv and as good as tv and as important as tv and to be taken as seriously Mm. as a tv series and you know they haven't done that many i mean they have done some netflix originals but it's still its infancy so Mm. perhaps that's why they're trying to out tv tv but I just think it's a massive mistake. Well, thank you very much, Caroline and Caroline. <laughs> I realised quickly when I knew I should that the world was made up of this brotherhood of man. For whatever that means. Into a crisis times when I'm lying in bed just to get it all out what's in my If you heard last week, you might remember that I assigned Caroline the task of reading the teen magazine website, rookiemag.com. Caroline, what did you think of it? I really, really liked it. Um, I thought it was really so interesting and so, so well written, a lot of it. And I also really liked the aesthetic. You mentioned the photo shoots when you introduced it to me last week, but I hadn't quite grasped quite how visual a lot of it is. Mm. But there was also quite a lot of sadness to my reaction to it that I wasn't really expecting because 
I just wish it had existed when I was the right age for it. Yeah. Um, so I read some of their articles and just thought, I would have liked myself so much more if I could have read this when I was 14 or felt like I could talk to my friends about this because Rookie said I could. Um, and that, yeah, that made me really sad. Yeah, I really feel that, especially you saying, you know, I would have liked myself more. There's so much emphasis um, at Rookie about, you know, it being okay to feel certain ways and there's sort of a lot of quite intellectual like oh it can be a good thing to be lonely it can be a good thing to you know not necessarily feel that you conform to certain things or it can be a good thing to really enjoy like you know wearing you know the the classic popular outfit or whatever yeah Yeah, to participate in that kind of teen culture whether you do that as an outsider or an insider either way it's fine and it's great fun and it's also i think you mentioning the aesthetic there it's got a really amazingly strong brand i think and tone Mm. um that just is in every piece you even though they're all individuals and each writer has their own you know voice there's this great sense of tone and place and I think Tavi Gevinson, who's, as we mentioned last week, the editor, she sort of line edited almost every single piece when they started for about a mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. to really, really, you know, it's a real deliberate choice to have established that tone. And I think it just, it makes the website for me. Yeah, it really does. Um, and I really liked, and actually that makes total sense you saying about her line editing, because um, several of the pieces I read were from sort of 2011, 12. Mm. I'm generally pro the kind of personal essay format, but I do think if not strongly edited, they can get a bit kind of meandering sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I didn't find that with a single one of those ones. They were really, really tight and had a really, really strong sense of progression. I'm thinking particularly of the one, um, I can't remember the writer's name, but she's writing about how she came to be okay with her eyebrows. Gabby Noon, I love Um, her. And that's such a kind of um, a tightly structured piece that just makes her point all the more you can appreciate it all the better for it, really. Um, and that that's definitely one that I would have liked to have read when I was 15. <laughs> um, ditto the one, um, there was one about masturbation as well that was really, really interesting and talked a lot about how the writer had talked to a lot of different women um, and had highlighted that everyone she spoke to described themselves as either an early bloomer or a yeah. late bloomer. It wasn't, they were... There was kind of self-judgment in even the language they, they use. Oh I, oh, I was very late to it. Oh, I was very early to it. Not just, yeah, I started doing it and it was okay. Exactly. Yeah. There was no tone of acceptance, even in when we talk about it ourselves. And that would have, yeah, that would have helped me so much. I think so. And like, that's one of those things that I think, to think that there could have been this nice peer, you know, a voice of my age telling me that these things are fine. That would have been really, really cool. Yeah, I can remember specifically... Uh, something that happened when I was in year nine so 14 I think Mm. um when we'd been assigned and I really cannot remember I've actually tried to find this novel since to see if it is as bad as I remember it but we we were assigned this novel to read by our English teacher that had in it a kind of a really not explicit at all but a scene where the kind of young uh female main character has a kind of disastrous first sex experience um which features the immortal line oh no I've gone down (laughs) <laughs> um, which every every girl in my class was completely traumatised because of course we'd all read ahead and we were all petrified that our teacher was going to make us read this aloud in oh, class no. and possibly even discuss it and we were all sort of rigid with fright about this and that that was really that was my first introduction to literature about sex yeah. and to potentially having to talk about it <laughs> completely terrified us and I just think we would not have reacted like that if we'd operated 
in a culture where things like Rookie had been widely read. Yeah, so you mentioned two pieces there. Are there any others that you thought were really... Oh, there was there was a great coming out story that I really yeah. enjoyed. Um, again, I can't remember the writer's Is name. Is that a- Arabelle Sicardi? Yes, Arab- yeah. She's fantastic. And again, that was something that whilst, obviously, I did read other teen magazines of a more kind of traditional brand, um, they never had anything, no kind of queer narratives or anything like that in them. Yeah. So again, that would have been a total revelation. I remember when Rookie was first starting out as well because um it was it was started by a small group of these kind of like 17 to 25 maybe max um journalists and um they there was a lot of these you know photo shoots and stuff like that um and I remember a long comment thread because comments and and that sense of community is really really important to Rookie and you know people call themselves rookies um and there was a long comment thread about you know like oh, I really love this shoot but you know I'm wondering why you never have any models of colour in any of your editorials. And there was a real thoughtful response from all the team members and a, and a, and a real renewed effort to, you know, they committed to making mm. it more inclusive. I mean, that's just one small example. I think the site in general is is amazingly inclusive. Um, but I think that's one of the things I love about it so much is that it is a space for everyone. And they always have, you know, like not just in terms of like, oh, they have trans writers, they have black writers, they have gay writers. But it, the overarching tone of almost every piece is you do you. That's great. And we're all going to sit and learn from you doing you. And yeah. I'll tell you a bit about me doing me. Um, and I know that can sound really cheesy the way I phrased it, especially then sounds awfully cheesy. But it's when you're 14 it's just one of the most liberating things you could have Absolutely. I think when you're in a place where you think that everything you do is wrong mm. that you are you are doing life wrong having having a something like that telling you no 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 it's not only is it not wrong but also it's fine to feel like that mm. um let's explore why you feel like that you know which is just not something you get ever get from magazines that I remember I used to read Ms and um like 17 and blush and things like that and it was it was it just never felt like that you always felt either sort of bemused or petrified by the stories you found in there I felt yeah exactly and I just think it, it it's an amazing sort of comfort and I do think it's influenced other publications mm. that kind of strain of ID and days I can really see like a direct influence from rookie there mm now rookie is so established it has people like zadie smith writing for rookie now um and i think to have been introduced to artists writers and um subjects like that through a teen magazine would have been amazing for me as a young person to be like oh look at this cool writer who has concerns that you share would have been really really interesting yeah so so um in summation i really really liked rookie but I felt kind of angry with time and myself. Past media. Past media Grr. for not being rookie earlier, I think, <laughs> is how I felt. But but yes, so uh, so that that was me reading Rookie for the first time and highly recommending that you do the same. That's rookiemag.com. Um, so for next week, I'm going to give Anna a couple of episodes of one of my current favourite TV series okay. to watch, which is the American Showtime series Masters of Sex which is a kind of historical drama, I suppose. It's been described previously as like Mad Men, but with more sex in it. Um, that sounds good to me. <laughs> so it's it's set in the, in the early 60s, I think it starts, or the late 50s, and it's based on a 
biography of William Masters and Virginia Johnson, who were pioneering sex researchers um, in America at that time, who kind of followed up on the, the Kinsey report and were the first people to do sort of actual kind of biological and observational study of how people have sex and in process broke down all kinds of barriers and taboos about the female orgasm and penis size and all kinds of stuff um, and particularly encouraged women to think of sex as something that they could enjoy um, and so they've made a it's a really interesting book and then which I enjoyed and then I saw that they made a tv series of it a couple of years ago and I was like what it's got Michael Sheen in it being American I'm, I'm here for that um oh, I love Michael Sheen so 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 that's what Anna's gonna watch um for next week and we'll hear her thoughts then don't care what they say don't give a fuck what they think of us so start a band or magazine and get that like desk ready because we're coming for the jobs and gonna get the money every day. We were delighted that so many of you listened to the first couple of episodes of Seriously. We've had some emails, comments, tweets from some of you. Um, we had an email from Neil, uh, and he said, Hey, really loved the first episode, but I wanted to chip in with regards to what Kate Mossman was saying with regards to gender. Alarm bells start ringing for me at this point when Neil says, What about this aspect of gender? But it was actually a great email. Um, and basically what Neil mentioned was that um, when it comes to female artists like Amy Winehouse, the sort of troubled aspect of drug abuse and struggling in the limelight becomes a very, very negative thing. So he says, for male artists, a tragic death, either by suicide or drug or alcohol abuse, is romanticised in such a way that the gory details are incorporated positively into the mythology of the artist. Um, with female artists, this isn't the same. Amy Winehouse is a mess. Um and it becomes difficult for the public to reconcile her art with her downward spiral. Which I think is a pretty insightful comment. Yeah. I've not seen the Amy film yet, but I do intend to. And uh, it does just feel so kind of heightened, yeah. the way it's been reviewed everywhere. Um, but so on the other thing we talked about last week, which was E.L. James Grey, which uh, if you if you happen to follow me on Twitter, you might know that I have in fact now finished reading because it was so hot last week that the only thing that could get me to sleep in the middle of the night was reading more of that. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> oh on our so we, we asked listeners whether they knew of any other examples where an author had written uh, two books from different characters' perspective covering the same time frame in a plot because we couldn't think of any others. And we've had a few suggestions. User Not Not Cal on Audio Boom left us a comment to point out that the Enders series of novels, which I I looked it up, I've not read them, but they're five sci-fi novels by Orson Scott Card that were first published in the 1980s. Apparently in that series, the title Enders Game and Enders Shadow tell the same story from different points of view. And then my friend Jen also pointed out that perhaps... A more famous example that we should have known about in the context of Fifty Shades of Grey <laughs> is that Stephanie Meyer, who wrote the Twilight novels that um, obviously uh, Fifty Shades of Grey originally started as fan fiction of, she wrote 12 chapters of a book called Midnight Sun, which was retelling the first Twilight book from Edward's point of view. The original is from Bella's point of view. So that's pretty much the analogue of it being from Anastasia's point of view and then from Christian Grey's point of view. Yeah, I, I remember when this happened because the, the chapters leaked online, didn't they? And it was yeah. really, it was everywhere. I can't believe we forgot about it. I know. It. This was, so this was back in 2008 and it, it, it leaked, her sort of work in progress leaked and she said that all the kind of speculation reaction had kind of 
ruined the process for her. Uh, she even, I think, I found a quote from her online saying that if she'd carried on writing it at that time, uh, James, who's like the evil vampire in the time, would have won and all the Cullens would have died. So she didn't <laughs> carry on writing it. Good and for in- her, that's so honest. And I instead like she just put the 12 chapters she'd done up on her website so you can read what she'd done so far and then she's just left it. We'd love to make this a regular feature, by the way. So if you do have thoughts on anything that we've talked about or if you've got something you think we should talk about, uh, tweet or email us. All the details about how to contact us are on newstatesman.com forward slash S-R-S-L-Y. Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. I'm Anna. And I'm Caroline. You can find us on iTunes. Our Twitter is at SeriouslyPod. And if you want to send us an email, we're SeriouslyPod, S-R-S-L-Y, pod at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.